on this episode of the Magic Business Podcast. They should be asking me questions about how do I learn and understand the underbelly of the trade show industry. What I'm talking about is cost per foot of concrete, traffic density, and all of these metrics that companies use to evaluate whether or not they even want to be in a trade show. There is a, a subculture to the industry beyond the company itself. Welcome to the Magic Business Podcast, where we share insightful and delightful inner secrets about the business of magic. This is where magic professionals present their real-life experiences and some of their most guarded secrets to help further your career in the magical arts. I'm your host, Christian Painter, in partnership with themagicoracle.club, where you can hear all of our magic business podcasts. The trade show market has a lot of misconceptions. This podcast is going to clear those up for you so you know exactly what trade show magic is all about. Harrison Carroll lives in Buffalo, New York, and is a retired trade show magician. He worked the trade show industry for 30 years. He has performed in 13 different countries and for over 20 Fortune 500 companies. He has been on the cover of MUM Magazine. He has worked with Eddie Tulloch, Dick Ryan, Dick Stoner, Paul Gertner, Bill Goldman, Tim Conover, Scott Tokar, and Danny Orleans. If you don't know who these people are, I will tell you they are the giants of the trade show industry. And here's an interesting fact. He actually coined the term trade show magician. Please welcome to the show, Harrison Carroll. Hey, Christian. Great to talk to you. I'm so looking forward to this podcast. I think the first thing we have to explain is what is a trade show? A trade show is historically, uh, of course, years ago it was different, but a flea market could be considered a trade show. It's where people go to the market uh, with their products and other people go there to look at them, learn about them, and potentially to buy them. Today, they're a lot more high tech. You know, there are a lot of studies. Uh, They've honed their craft in how they're going to present themselves. And it's far more sophisticated, you know, than it was years and years and years ago so that the listeners have an idea of your experience when when was your very first trade show 1982 1982 and you just retired not too long ago correct because you were considered one of the best in the business where arguably (laughs) you're always humble you're always humble harrison but um also explain that there are different levels of trade shows right different tiers Absolutely. And um, a lot of new people don't really understand that. But, you know, there are small hotel shows. There are local shows, regional shows. There are national shows. And, of course, there are international shows. There are even user group meetings which have exhibits. For example, IBM might have a, a trade show. Uh, which is combined with a series of meetings and vendors who work with IBM may exhibit at that show. So it may not be uh, national association of broadcasters, big show. Um, it may not be that. So those are the granddaddies, you know, the top 200 is the, the, what you're, what you're hoping to, to get to. Yeah. I mean, that's where you're going to make your best money. You're going to have your best exposure to future business. Um, and as an entertainer, it's going to be more fulfilling in many cases. So 
when I'm hired and I come to the booth at the trade show, yes, um, what's my job? What am I supposed to do? Well, first of all, uh, uh, it depends on the company. Uh, some companies want to increase lead count. Some companies just want to increase impressions. So we need an understanding of what the company's goals are. But ultimately, we need first and foremost to bring people to that booth. Okay. So our goal, regardless of the show, whether it's an international show or a local show, is in many cases the same. We have to get people to stop. I do know a lot of magicians believe, well, I'm a close-up magician. I'm a really good close-up magician. So this will be great for me because I can just sit and do a close-up show. Um, sometimes, but not always. And your close-up show, again, has to integrate with the corporate identity, culture, and their messaging. So it, it's just not enough to go there and just do magic. They don't need a specialist, you know, to just do magic. So uh, often in the bigger booth, your close-up can't be seen by 80 people when you're on a tabletop. So you need to bring it up in the air and it almost becomes a stand-up show as opposed to a close-up show. So if I'm going to work uh, trade shows, I better have an array of tools in. I can't just rely on some close-up because different trade shows will have different environments. And even the same trade show, you can start out with two people and you're doing close-up. Pretty soon you got four, six, eight. You're still on the table doing close-up. Now you got 15 people and it's starting to get hard for them to see the tabletop. So your close-up show may evolve into a stand-up show by the end of your specific set. So um, if you continue just doing close-up on the tabletop, you're not going to get the big crowd. So you better be able to roll with the punches is what you're telling me. To a degree, um, because two things will happen. If people cannot see, they'll leave. If people cannot hear you, they'll leave. So A, you need a decent sound system, and, and B, they got to be able to see what you're doing. Already I'm seeing more challenges than maybe the average magician uh, would believe that they're just going to come and do a trade show with their deck of cards. Yeah, I mean, Eddie Tullock did a trade show with a deck of cards for years. Uh, but again, he's off the table. Mm -hmm. He's holding them up at eye level, you know, when he's doing things, not doing table riffles and things like that. Um, and you learn to adapt uh, or you don't. If you don't, you're out of the business, but you learn to adapt and say, this isn't working. I, I need to get this thing up in the air. People have to be able to see what I'm holding when I reference it. So I think most magicians do figure that out. If, okay. If, you know, if, if they're serious about the business. So when you begin, so someone says, okay, I want to try this. I'm going to dip my, my foot in. And we're, we're not obviously going to start at the international level. What level where are we shooting for? Where are we, what, you know, how do we get into it? I would say, first of all, you shoot for whatever you can get. If it's a local show, you do it. Um, the local home and garden show, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But you grab whatever you can get. It, maybe it will be a national show. I mean, a lot of guys I saw one time for a show and they were at a national show. Why? Because they met someone, a client or a potential client that became a client that happened to do, we'll say the, um, you know, the national home builder show. Mm -hmm. So whammo, 
all of a sudden they're in a national show. But then the question becomes, how big is this client? How much space do they take? Because if they're in a 10 by 10 in a linear aisle, you're not going to get a lot of people. And that hurts your potential for success. Before we even go there, let's let's cover a couple of things I know listeners always want to know, and that is, what is my pay range in the trade show industry? That is a million-dollar question um, because when I left, the rates were all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie Tullock, let me just, if I can regress, Eddie Tullock was getting $1,000 a day in the 60s. Which was a ton of money in the 60s. It was. And plus, you know, his expenses. Then it, when Eddie left the business, he was still getting 1000 a day. But that was Eddie. Other people surpassed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I left, there were guys getting, you know, three grand a day. Joel Bauer was probably getting uh, 20 grand a show, 25 grand a show. Now, when you say a show, how many days is that? Let's say three. Okay. Shows used to go four. Some shows still go four, but generally you blow off the last day. Now, wait, are we charging them per day or are we charging them per show? Okay, I learned that. I'll get back to the rates in a minute. I learned that the hard way. The minute you charge per day, if it's a three-day show, the client says, well, the last day's dead, which it is in 90% of the shows. So we don't need you for the last day. So you just lost a third of your pay. That's not good. No. So I learned that very early on, and I said, this is crazy. So I started charging a show rate. I don't care if it's three days, two days, four days. You know, here's your rate. And I had clients say to me, when I started charging the show rate, well, the last day's dead. What if we only used you for two? Would it be cheaper? And I would argue, hey, you're not pulling off the carpet on the second day. You're not taking down graphics on the second day. Um, It's a team commitment to a total show. We're all here to give 100% to maximum productivity. So if we're going to start cutting corners here and there, what do you got? What happens if you took the carpet out of the booth? Of course, they can't. They got furniture on it. But uh, but, um, how would you look on that last day when even though it's slow? So you're just selling on the idea that you're important for every single day of that. Yeah. Plus, I don't want to give up any money. So if I'm not going to give up money, what's my reason that would placate, you know, their analysis? Very smart. Very smart. So now we get an idea of how you would charge, right? You're charging. Well, yeah, but I started to mention, you know, Lisa Mena was getting 20-some grand a show. That was insane. Okay. Nobody was getting that kind of money. So um, I think when I left, I, I just before I left, I boosted my rates to like 9000 for a show. But I still had clients at 7500 because I never wanted to raise existing clients ever unless I absolutely was with them like 10 years. Right. I mean, so, but even though I was getting that, there were guys still going out for like two grand, three grand. So they started hurting the market because 
if they were good, it's even worse. <laughs> Understood, yes. Because now the client's like, well, we love our guy. And he's, why are you so much? So that became a problem. It started in the 90s when the trade show industry exploded because of the computer explosion. That uh, there was work for anybody and everybody. And people started showing up out of the woodwork. And some of them were going out very cheap. And um, it hurts the market. You know, it brings our value down. So currently, and, and of course, also your rate is going to depend on what tier the trade show's in. Is that correct? And, and how important that show is to that exhibitor. Okay. Um, I'll give you an example. I had a, one of my clients was Xerox. Xerox did a big show. They did the print show. And they uh, there was a show called Explore, which is a very big show for them. Mm -hmm. But then... The Food Marketing Institute had a show, which was actually, I would think, bigger than Explore. But Xerox's commitment to Explore was huge. They went to FMI, the Food Marketing Institute, but they didn't want to spend a lot of money. Okay. So they had like a 10 by 20 booth, and they wanted me to go because, hey, we could have the magician. We only have to have a small staff. So from my point of view, I, I got my same rate because that's what they were used to paying. But um, from my point of view, if I were pricing this new and I knew both shows, I would think if I did, and it wasn't Xerox, it was an unknown name. I would think, well, I'm not going to get as much in the 10 by 20 as I'm going to get in this big, you know, 90 by 120 booth, mm -hmm. 90 feet by 120 feet. <laughs> Because their commitment is so great, which means their budget is great, which means they're going to spend heavily, and I want to be part of that. In the 10 by 20, not so much. Same company, mm -hmm. different approach to that specific show. He's talking about the, the size of the booths. And some people I'm sorry. get. Yeah, and so some of the people aren't going to understand that. Precisely. And certain companies, I mean, a lot of big companies, their booths are custom built. Um, you could go to a show and see companies with rented booths or pop-ups, you know, that they pull out of a can and it pops open. Obviously, they're not invested in that show the same as the person that has the customized booth. Right. Why is that important? Because it's easier for us to sell based on their commitment right. and get our fee. So we, when you're out there trying to get a fee, you have to take these things into consideration, uh, especially when you're new, and understand that dynamic so that you can charge accordingly and appropriately. So here's what you're saying is we got to do a little research before we approach a client and, and try to sell ourselves at that trade show. Absolutely. And not just research in that regard, but research in terms of who the client is, you know, what do they sell, uh, understand their product so that when you go in to talk to them. And I think this is a mis mistake magicians make is they think they're selling magic is what they think they're selling, but they're not. They do. No, they're selling solutions. That is so, so good. I like that. Now, I also want to say in the introduction, we said something pretty bold. And how did you invent the word trade show magician? Bill Goldman might remember this mm -hmm. because we were in Chicago and 
Whit Hayden was there, Pop Hayden, I should say, was there too. And we were discussing how people, when you try to sell them, saw a magician as someone who did parties. Uh, it was fun for the kids, but it's not something I'm going to put in my exhibit. And I had several sales scenarios that reminded me of that. Uh, I actually, I don't know if I ever told you the story about ITT. If not, I'll tell it to you. But it was all these things that built up. And I said, how do we differentiate ourselves from just being a magician? So then I started selling that we were specialists. We don't do those parties. We don't do uh, bar mitzvahs. Uh, all we do are trade shows. So I started telling people, you know, that I, I'm a specialist. This is all I do. And magic is not an end in itself. It's, it's a tool to meet your trade show objectives. And then I started using the word on my website, trade show magician. And it just evolved from there. And then people, other people started using it. And then uh, now it's become pretty common. And then immediately, of course, when they hear that, then they assume, oh, this is what he does. So he well, must I be would good hope. at it. I don't know. I think there are still, even though a lot of companies are very astute in analyzing the productivity of their trade show and attacking uh, a, a philosophy to implement at the show, I got to a point where many times I knew more about the business of trade shows than they did. Mm. And then you have to be careful because especially young people, uh, they get put in this job and they think it's important and, and they're big shots. Uh, you got to be careful with their egos. So Harrison, because in this, uh, we're, we're on the website, themagicoracle.club. And in this moment, you are the magic oracle. And I like to ask this question, and that is, when you talk with people who are interested in trade shows, what is the one question they never ask you, but you wish they did? Well, I'll tell you, the one question that they do ask me that I don't like is, um, how much do you make? How did you get this gig? Terms like that. When they should be asking me questions about how do I learn and understand the underbelly of the trade show industry. And a lot of trade show magicians who are successful don't even pay attention to a lot of that stuff. If they've been around a long time, they assimilate some knowledge, but nobody seeks it. And nobody, I, I don't remember one person ever coming up to me and asking me, how do I learn about the, the trade show industry? And um, what I'm talking about is cost per foot of concrete, uh, traffic density, and all of these metrics that companies use to evaluate whether or not they even want to be in a trade show and what kind of productivity yielded was yielded from the trade show. But nobody ever asked me stuff about the industry. And there is a, a subculture to the industry beyond the, the company itself. So again, we're going to go back to where I said most magicians are going to come at this thinking they're selling a magic show when they're not. There, you, and you said it earlier, you said you're, you're selling a solution. So tell me what, once you've researched, let's say you wanted to uh, sell yourself to this one company and you've researched them. When you sit down, what are you telling those people 
in the meeting? How are, how are you selling yourself? Uh, I'm selling against what they're doing, first of all. Um, because I can't sell myself until I know what it is they're already doing. Okay. So um, let's say they're doing nothing. What does that mean? Well, it's a little easier to sell. But let's say they're already doing something. I have to somehow present a, uh, an alternative that's more productive, uh, more fun, more engaging than the solution they're using now. For example, somebody puts a race car in the booth. Okay. 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 Oh, people are going to come. They're going to look at the race car. Um, my attitude is, can the race car talk to people? People walk by, they look at it. 30 minutes later, did you see that race car down? At the, it's down that way. What booth? I don't know. Not only do they don't even know what booth they saw it in. Now, some people might. But when you have a front man, a spokesperson, a mouthpiece bragging about your company in a friendly, engaging manner, which is going to be more beneficial to you and probably cheaper because you don't have to you don't have drayage for the race car, shipping for the race car, all of the costs of getting the race car into your booth. So I'm selling wow. against the race car within the this company. is really good stuff. Harrison, we are running out of time, but I want to ask you, would you come back again? Because there's still more questions I have for you. You know what? I would love to. It's like we didn't even I, scratch I, the surface. I feel anything. the same way, but we've, we've already been on for quite a while. And uh, yeah. Holy so, cow. It seems like we're up five I, minutes. I'm telling you, there's so much good information you're going. And I know you and I know how much more good information you are. So we're going to have you back. No problem. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Harrison. Thank you for listening to our Magic Business Podcast. Please visit the magicoracle.club where you can hear all of our Magic Business Podcasts and enjoy a vast array of additional magical knowledge. Here is an excellent quote from Lucille Ball. One of the things I learned the hard way was it doesn't pay to get discouraged. As always, we at the Magic Oracle wish you continued success on your path in the magical arts. 